So let me ask you a question as we begin this morning. How many of you do garden? Tilo brought it up in communion. I'm just wondering, how many of you have a personal garden? Not very many, just a few of you. Well, those of you who do garden know that weeds grow faster and stronger than any seed you can ever plant, right? Some farmers say that it takes 60 pounds of wheat seed to grow an acre of wheat. That's what they say, okay? In that same acre, there are already 3,000 pounds of weeds that are native to that soil. I read an article this week, and this is what it said. There's actually a huge difference in seed lots of wheat seeds. The number of seeds per pound varies so much. In fact, it can vary from as little as 10,000 seeds versus 20,000. So it becomes quickly apparent that each lot planted at 60 pounds an acre could have different populations of wheat that grows from that. And so I thought about that with our passage this morning at Mark chapter 4. Think about this theory when it comes to different people hearing the Word of God. Think about this. There's a huge difference when the Word of God goes out for the hearer and different people as well. So keep that in the back of your mind and open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 as we return to that verse-by-verse study. Now, if you remember before our Christmas mini-series in the Gospel of Mark, we studied on Jesus' master passion. A large crowd had come to Jesus once again, and we see this all throughout Mark. And his own family comes and wants to tow him off back home. They say, he's crazy. He has lost his mind. We need to get him back home by force. And so Jesus taught on a divided house, and then he taught on the unpardonable sin. And we ended saying that the abundant life in Christ is a life that's lived passionately, serving and worshiping the king. And so today Jesus is going to teach this parable and it's about different hearts receiving the same message but responding in very different ways. So if your Bibles are open, Mark chapter 4, number one there in your sermon notes, the parable of the sower. Let's begin with verse 1. It says, And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground, where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on the good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some one hundred. So here again is this large crowd, and this time the crowd is so large, Jesus is on the beach there, and he gets into this little boat so that he can see above the crowd and kind of speak to the entire crowd. It'd be much easier to get his voice to project if he's a few feet back from the crowd, so that's why he does it. And he wants to see over the crowd so he can address the whole crowd. 
you know, we're fortunate enough to have a neat sound system, right? But imagine having 10,000 people before you. And imagine being on the sea and no sound system. You know, if there was a hill behind the crowd, maybe his voice would project and kind of hit the hill and come on back and, and the crowd could hear him. But remember who this is. Jesus is God in the flesh. So if he wanted to, he could supernaturally make them hear his voice or he could supernaturally project his voice. He didn't need a sound system, unlike we need for YouTube. There in your notes. But notice, Jesus taught them many things using parables, which can be described as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Word pictures, think about this. Word pictures are so powerful at public speaking. You know, I can tell you something, but if I show you a picture... You know, like a millstone. I could tell you what a millstone looks like. I can describe it. But if I show you a picture on PowerPoint, what a millstone is, everyone goes, oh, yeah. So that's why Jesus used parables, one of the reasons. So he tells this parable about planting seeds and yielding an increase. And in this parable, there's this farmer who sows seed liberally, but there's four kinds of soil. And the farmer just liberally throws out the seed in a random pattern. You know, sometimes back then, a farmer would prepare the ground like we would today, but sometimes they would just go out and just throw the seed and see what, you know, kind of dry land farming, see what would happen. So the story resonates with people because many of the people there, unlike us that go to Freddy's for our produce, many of the people back then had to have a garden if they wanted greens, right? There in your notes. So in this parable, we notice the seed was good in each instance. But we also learn that there are four types of soil. So let's really quickly talk about them, and then we will explain them in a little while. But number one there in your notes is the wayside. It was a well-traveled road or a walking path. So lettuce or chard or maybe even some certain beans can grow in clay soil. But the soil that Jesus is describing, this is like clay that has been walked and stomped upon. Nothing is going to grow there. And Jesus says, the birds came down and take all the seed and eat the seed, and it never was covered by dirt whatsoever. Number two there in your notes. Stony places had a very shallow soil on top of a rocky underlayment. Now, there are some shallow-rooted plants. If you walk out into the forest, you might see this, such as grasses and ground covers and some weeds. But this kind of ground, something springs up quickly because the soil's so small, but it has no root because it's on top of a rock. Number three, among the thorns. This describes good soil, but there's bramble bush or briars or some thorny plant there. And many weeds would grow in this type of environment. But then number four is the good ground. This describes fertile soil free from any weeds growing in it. A fruitful crop will grow in good ground. So think about this for yourself or any farmer. What farmer in the world, if they had a choice of what kind of soil to plant in, would not say, hey, yeah, give me the good soil? Who would say, no, no, I want, I want the shallow soil, or I want the well-traveled road? Of course, they want the good soil. And so in our parable, Jesus is talking about God's kingdom. Jesus is the sower. He sows the word of God. So why do farmers plant seeds? And I mean, this is elementary, but think about it. 
A farmer plants seed because of the future promise of produce, right? No farmer in his right mind is going to plant unless he thinks he's getting something out of it. And seed will produce if it's good soil, it's watered correctly, it's done right. But I want you to notice something, and this is a takeaway for us. Notice how Jesus doesn't give more value to the larger crops. Did you notice that? He lumps the 30 and the 60 and 100 fold all together. What he's saying is, if you've produced, God gives the increase. So if you've produced, if it's good soil, if you've heard, if you've, if you've worked with it, you don't get like an extra brownie button because your crop is larger. When we look at the body of Christ, think about this. You know, I've told you my testimony many times. I, I got saved from a, a very pagan, drug addict family. I know a lot of people who got saved because they had Christian parents or Christian grandparents. And, you know, they would say, oh, every morning I woke up and heard my mom praying and my dad reading the Bible. And it was great. We all come from different backgrounds. Yet any heart who would willingly accept the free gift of Jesus Christ were all promised eternal life. You don't get like the Harlem part of heaven and I get like the Upper West Side part of heaven. We all get eternal life, right? And it's all because of Christ. We all have different backgrounds and personalities and talents and intellectual capability, all these different things. Even the time of life. You know, statistics say that most people come to Christ before they're in their teens, but that's not always true. I mean, I've led people on their deathbed at 80 years old to Christ. So there's so much variety within the body of Christ. And it's just like the 12-hour worker versus the one-hour worker. If you've received Christ, they get heaven just like I get heaven. There's no difference. But notice how he ends that part. And he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Well, most of us would reach up and grab and say, yeah, I got two of them. What Jesus is saying is if you've got spiritual ears to hear, listen to what I'm telling you, because there's a lot of meaning here. Listen to what the Lord is saying. All right. Roman numeral two. So the purpose of parables. Look at verse 10. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that, and here he quotes Isaiah, seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. So once the multitude's gone, the disciples come out to Jesus, and they're basically, it's a question I would ask. Why are you speaking in parables? One-third of all Jesus' teaching was done through parables. Do you know that? We already learned that parables are using an earthly story to come across with a kingdom principle. A parable is a teaching from something known to teach something unknown. There in your notes. So Jesus' parables used things which were familiar to the crowds in order to illuminate a kingdom truth and provoke spiritual hunger. So we could see the messages from Jesus all through the parables have these deep kingdom messages, these central truths of the gospel. But basically, the parable is going to reveal the hearer's heart. That's what a parable is going to do. In his grace, 
Jesus also used parables so the hearts of those who rejected him would not be hardened even further. And I'm going to try and prove this to you. Here's the thing. To whom much is given, much is required. There in your notes, those who continually reject Jesus's message will be left in spiritual blindness to wonder about its meaning. As you study through the book of Exodus, we see Pharaoh's our best example, right? We're told that Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and hardened his heart, and hardened his heart. And finally, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And a lot of people have a hard time with that, and they go, why would God do that? Exodus 9, 12. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Why did God do this? Well, here's the bottom line. Hardening of Pharaoh's heart simply confirmed that Pharaoh already determined in his heart to have a hard heart against the Lord. And by the way, God knows the future, right? But he says, you're never going to accept, you're going to have a hardened heart, so I'm going to harden it even further. In Matthew 13, 12, Jesus said this, For whoever has to him, more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So in other words, those who are hungry for the Lord and the Lord's truth, God will continue to reveal more and more of his truth to you. But to those who are not open to the gospel and have a hardened heart, you're going to grow colder and colder. Then Jesus in verse 11 mentions the mystery of the kingdom. I don't know, a couple years ago, we did a a whole message on several of the mysteries found within Scripture and the mystery of the Trinity and the mystery of so many of the mysteries. But here Jesus talks about the mystery of the kingdom. You know, all the Old Testament prophets wrote and spoke about the coming Messiah without even knowing what they were talking about. It's so amazing that Isaiah, 800 years before Christ, spoke so clearly. Isaiah 53 clearly talks about Jesus' crucifixion and his beatings and all these things. And yet Isaiah had no idea. They didn't understand the new covenant of the Holy Spirit living within believers at all. They just didn't get it. But they wrote about it because the Holy Spirit moved them to write about it. Paul said in Colossians 1.26, The mystery, which had been hidden for ages and from generations, has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The wonder and glory of the indwelling Holy Spirit coming to live within a believer once they receive Jesus Christ. Such a mystery to the Old Testament saints. They had no idea. And it was so foreign. A Gentile was going to be saved and a Gentile was going to house God. The Holy Spirit was going to live within a Gentile. And so the work of Jesus Christ living within his people wasn't revealed till the day of Pentecost. And so Jesus speaks of hearing these kingdom truths, and they're in your notes. There's a definite difference between auditory hearing and spiritual hearing, which leads to belief. What this is saying is there's a difference between receiving it in your heart 
and hearing it with your ears. Romans 10.17 says this, So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. And it's just not hearing the word with your ears, it's hearing with your heart that turns to faith, and then you believe. Because faith is relying on, trusting in, putting your full weight on what God has said in his word. That's what faith is. And again, verse 12, Jesus points to the prophecy from Isaiah. And he says, by the way, that prophecy that was written 800 years ago was written about you folks. That you're going to hear and not understand. You're going to see and not perceive. Because if you did, then your sins would be forgiven. The hard-hearted people who are hearing these parables, who will not relent and receive the free gift of Christ, Isaiah wrote about you. You see, parables do two things. They conceal and they reveal. And it all depends upon the heart of the hearer. People that don't want to accept the truth, the parable confuses them. People who know the Lord Jesus Christ and are willing to accept his teaching, we hear the parable and they, we go, how can they not understand? It's so clear. It seems so clear to me. Henry Ironside said, where people already had faith and had accepted his testimony up to a certain point, he was prepared to give them even more. But where there was no real confidence in his message, they would become more bewildered by these parables and instructions, even if he spoke to them in plain language. Here's the truth, though. If you're sitting in here today and you've never accepted Christ, but you're hungry, you're interested, you're, you're, you're scratching your head going, there's something to this, but I just haven't put my head around it yet. Jesus will never close a door on a heart that wants to hear. He will never. As long as you got breath in your lungs and your heart is still beating, there's still time. And Jesus has not forgotten you. Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4 that the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And catch this, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Because God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so now what has happened? Jesus gave this parable, gets alone with his followers. His followers ask him, and he explains why he spoke in parables. And now he's going to explain the parable. That's Roman numeral three there in your notes. Look at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground 
Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 34, some 60, and some 100. So Jesus asked, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the parables? Don Stewart said, the people who believed in Jesus as the Messiah would understand the parables and comprehend the great truths of the kingdom of God. Again, this parable mentions three things. The sower, the good seed in every time, every account, and the soils. In this parable, we notice the seed, which is the message, God's word, is the same every single time. But there's four types of responses. So the message is the same. When I was early on in my preaching career, I'd give a message, and at the end of it, a guy would come up and say, you know, you really touched me when you talked about this. And I'd scratch my head and go, I didn't say a word about that. And it would just really kind of steam me that the guy wasn't paying attention while I was talking. (laughs) Soon I discovered that there is a Holy Spirit. And sometimes people are hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying, even though the word's coming out of my mouth. The Holy Spirit's speaking, and here I'm getting upset because you're not listening. No, God's dealing with you. But there's sometimes that people hear that same message. One guy comes up and goes, praise God, I'm forgiven. Jesus loves me. Another guy comes up and goes, that was boring. Was the word different or was the heart different? So this seems to communicate that we can't blame the poor results on the communicator We can only blame the poor results on you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But let's talk about it. Number one there in your notes, the walking path. There in your notes, the wayside represents people who hear the word audibly, but fail to understand the message. Earlier in Mark 4.4, we heard that the birds come and devour the seed that fell on the walking path. Many times in Scripture, and especially the New Testament, when we see birds, it represents evil. And in this same parable in Matthew 13, the birds are interpreted as the evil one in verse 19. So by interpretation, what we can ascertain is that some people hear with their ears, but because of their hardened hearts, the wicked one is able to come in and snatch away the seed immediately. The gospel of Christ cannot affect the person with that hard heart. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.3, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The Lord will give discernment and understanding to anyone who has a heart and wants to hear. And then he will give you the ability to bear fruit. Salvation was never meant to keep to yourself. It was always meant, if you're still alive, God hasn't taken you home. It was always meant for you to bear fruit. All right, number two, the rocky ground. This is, again, the place where the soil level is so shallow That the seed may produce quickly, but then it will soon die out. There in your notes. This is a picture of someone who hears the gospel and seems to be enthusiastic, 
But the implanted word of God never really took root. James 1.21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, when the first sign of a trial or persecution comes, the person who is not rooted in the word of God, who's not rooted in the love of Christ, they'll fall away. Number three, seed among thorns. This is the kind of ground that's fertile and able to grow, but there are thorny plants that are choking this thing out. So someone responds to the word of God, and they seem to grow for a minute. And then something of this world, something they care about more, be it a person, be it uh, an object, be it whatever, seems to be more important. And so they end up getting the word of God choked out of their life. In Matthew 19, maybe you remember the story, there's a, a wealthy young ruler and he comes to Jesus with this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, Jesus, check this out. As far as the Mosaic law all of my life, I have kept the law perfectly, which is a lie because no one can. But he says this to Jesus. And so he says, now that I've kept the law perfectly, what do I got to do? Just tell me. And so Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There in your notes, the call to follow Jesus puts God in first place in everything. Now, there's a couple of mistaken interpretations of this passage I want to share with you, because everybody, you know, going to pull a Jim Jones and run out there and sell all your possessions. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I must be first place in your life. So the two mistakes that people make, the first mistake is to believe that this instruction to this rich young ruler applies to everybody. So Jesus has called us all to be paupers and all be poor and everything else. But Jesus never gave a command for all of us to be poor. In fact, there's many wealthy Christians. The the owner of Quaker Oats, man, He started by giving 10%, 20%. Pretty soon by the end of his life, he was given 90%. And he was so wealthy, he could not spend all the money he had. God allowed him to be uber, uber wealthy. God has not allowed me to be uber, uber wealthy. (laughs) But the problem with this rich young ruler was his finances, his money was an idol and an obstacle in his life. And so when Jesus told him, go sell everything, give to the poor, and then follow me, it was because money came first. God has allowed many wealthy people within Christianity to exist. But then there's a second mistake. So we hear that and go, so God didn't call me to poverty. Praise God. I'm going out to breakfast this morning. The second mistake that we make is that this command is for nobody but this rich young ruler. There are people who need to radically forsake materialism. There are some people who put money ahead of God. And God said very clearly in the Ten Commandments, you will have no other God before me. And so if you belong to the Lord 
and you're holding on like this to finances, and by the way, we're not asking for your money. Take a breath. <laughs> if you're holding on to your money like this and Christ is second and he really is Lord of your life, hold on. It's going to be a bumpy ride. All right, number four, the good ground. Those who hear and accept the word. Verse 20 says, some respond with a heart that want to hear the word and then produce fruit. But notice, again, Jesus isn't grading on how much fruit, just fruit. Again, people come to faith from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of personalities and talents. And what he's saying is, I will give the increase. Will you go bear fruit? And so the only question for us personally is this. Have you embraced the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you embraced it? Again, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Lord is saying. If you have spiritual discernment, God is saying, the good soil is your heart. And accept the words. So the main explanation is the word that's imparted to the life who will believe. True belief. To rely on, to trust in the Lord. 1 Peter 1.22 since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The seed is the reality of the word of God and God bears life and gives you the increase. So let's get practical this morning. There's a few things I want us to notice about this parable, and I'm going to end with a story. Number one, notice that three quarters of the seed did not grow. Did, did you notice that about the story? Four kinds of ground, three of them didn't grow, didn't produce, right? The gospel is rejected far more than it's received, which is a heartache, but the sower is the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we've been left with such a great salvation. And our job then is to share. That's number two. It's our job to share the gospel. But the Lord gives the increase. Well, how freeing is it to know that God is not grading me on the response of any person? God has called me to do something. I do it. And I do it empowered by him. That's it. He's not telling me, gee, you know, you got to have so many notches in your belt or I'm not pleased with you. That's not what God is saying. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Number three. A successful farmer or sower must have faith. There in your notes, the Jewish Talmud taught that farming is an act of faith. A farmer believes the seed would grow. Otherwise, he wouldn't plant it. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. 
So the farmer invests this great deal of work and money and everything else. And, and why would he do this? Because he believes that the Lord will give an increase. And so how does the act of farming show faith? Because you believe that God is going to give increase. If I do what God tells me to do, and I do it through his power and give him the glory, the results are his, not mine. Number four, the sower liberally throws or broadcasts a seed everywhere. <laughs> and the seed falls on all different kinds of ground. It's not my responsibility on what kind of ground it falls on. That's not my problem. My problem is obedience. My question is, what if we're tired of waiting to see fruit? You know, what if we're like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet? 40 years, God, I've served you. I haven't seen one person change. What do we need? We need patience. And that's number five. The sower must have patience. James 5, 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the earth and latter rain? So I want to tell you a story about patience, and this is how I'll end. In 1921, a missionary couple from Sweden with their two-year-old son moved to Africa to take the gospel to this remote area of Africa who had never heard about Jesus. And unfortunately, when they arrived, the chief of the tribe wouldn't let them live in the village or come visit the village at all. The only contact they had with the entire village was one young boy that was allowed to go and sell them food. The wife ended up leading that young boy to Christ, but the couple never had contact with anybody else. But soon, the wife was pregnant and contracted malaria and died several days after the second baby was born. Her husband, devastated, gave the newborn baby girl to some American missionaries, and he said, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife. I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. So he took his young son and went back to Sweden. The missionaries who adopted this baby girl brought her back to the United States to raise her. The daughter was given the name Aggie, and she grew up in the U.S. with Christian parents. When she was old enough, she heard the story of her birth parents, and so she traveled to Sweden to find her father. Turns out he remarried, of course, fathered four more children, and basically ruined his life being a drunk. When Aggie found him, she walked into his tiny apartment, saw empty liquor bottles everywhere, and approached the 73-year-old man who had deserted her years before. As soon as she said, Papa, he began to cry profusely. She said, It's all right, Papa. God took care of me. The father said, God has forgotten all of us, and he turned his face from her. Our lives are like this because of him. Aggie said, I've got a story to tell you, Papa. The little boy that Mama led to Christ led that entire village in Africa to faith in Christ. The one seed that you planted just kept growing and growing. And today, more than 600 people in that area of Africa are serving the Lord because of your faithful call to do what God said. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. Papa, Jesus loves you. He never hated you. You know, Christian, it's so easy, and especially in vocational ministry, it's easy to get burnt out and not see fruit for a time and wonder, has God forgotten us? Has God 
not given us a clear message on what to do. God has been very, very clear to each and every one of us. Go and preach the gospel and leave the results to him. First of all, make sure you're the good ground. That's hearing the word of God, the implanted word of God, and by faith you receive it into your heart. The sower, the Lord, sows only good seed, the word of God. And he throws it liberally, and it's available to every person who would receive. There in your notes last, the word of God is always good. So when the true word of God is sown, it always is good seed. The only difference is the hearts of the hearer. And again, James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. When we hear the word of God and we act upon it, we can know that we know that we know that we know that God is faithful. He will do what he said he will do. Sometimes, if you're anything like me, you know, I want to give God about three minutes and then I'm out of patience. But sometimes God uses those things to wear us out and get us to trust in him. And he takes care of us all through it. Do what God has called you to do. Leave the results to him. He is faithful. He who is faithful will do it. And that's what we're called to do. Throw out the good seed. Let God worry about the soil. Let God worry about the hearts. He'll give the increase. If God were done with you, you wouldn't be here this morning. That's good news. God's not done with you. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ and you're hearing this message and you're like, I just don't get any of this. That's okay. That's okay. God has you here for a purpose. Receive the word of God. Receive eternal life. And then go tell. And it doesn't matter if they ridicule you. It doesn't matter if you never see. Can you just imagine when you get to heaven and you find out what really happened behind the spiritual curtain of when you were sharing the gospel? And if you could affect just one person, if you could snatch one person out of the fires of hell, God used you that much, that should be enough motivation to share the gospel of Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. Every week, we're in the back. We'd love to pray with you about anything that you need prayer over. We count it a blessing and a joy. And what a great way in this new year's to start off. God, here's, here's my seed that I'm planting. And I'm not talking about, you know, the faith teachers and their blab it and grab it stuff. I'm talking about, God, I trust you. This is what you have said. I'm going to trust you. This is what I'm going to do. And I am going to share the good news. I pray that's your heart this morning. Can we pray? Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.